0: There are many things that uh, Vladimir Putin has been uh, uh, reckless or or uh, impulsive in acting upon in the last many weeks. One of the most dangerous is his loose talk about the use of nuclear weapons. The
1: Federal Reserve Board is doing exactly what they need to do. Uh, probably six or nine months too late. It's also important to understand that we don't
2: we aren't without leverage here because it is important for Xi Jinping to balance his relationships between the United States and, and Russia.
3: You're listening to Podsui, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. President Joe Biden held a three-hour phone call with Chinese President Xi Jinping Friday to discuss China's role in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Details were vague afterward. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis, now with defense priorities, tries to shed some light on the subject with Chris Runwick.
4: How receptive do you think Xi Jinping was?
2: Well, you know, I mean, you got to you got to understand like like every major power, he's going to be doing what he thinks is in his nation's best interests. And that may or may not uh, correspond to what we think is in our best interests or how our interests align. And uh, it's also important to understand that we don't we aren't without leverage here because it is important for Xi Jinping to balance his relationships between the United States and, and Russia, because they have been, Russia and, and China have been in, in increasing their relationship, have been deepening their bonds, both in military and economic spheres and in energy spheres. So they're, they're making themselves more and more codependent code or interdependent mm-hmm. is probably a better word to put in that, because they both can use each other as a counterweight to what they view as a US hegemony Around the world, but there's limits to that because uh, China has great dependencies economically on the United States, like for uh, technology, for mm-hmm. example, uh, and also for economic markets. And they they can't afford to uh, put that too much in jeopardy. So he's Xi Jinping is going to have to try to find a balance. But I, if we expect him to just you know roll over and, and let uh, Putin go, that that's not going to happen because that's. That's not in Putin's or, or Xi Jinping's interest either. And it's going to be, uh, you know, interesting to find out just how Xi Jinping makes that balance, because right now we don't know.
4: You know, I think one of the 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 interesting things about the sanctions that have been placed on on Russia uh, have been that that was particularly impactful was not only the sanctions that the United States put on Russia, but the seemingly uh, uh Equivalent of these sanctions from other countries around the world, companies from around the world uh, that have that have kind of compounded uh, some of the effects of these sanctions. Do you feel that if China were to 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 get into bed publicly with with Vladimir Putin and Russia? Do you feel that that same type of fervor, that same type of of anger, I suppose, would be felt toward the Chinese? Do you, do you think that that would uh, that kind of piling on would take place?
2: First of all, I will say that unequivocally that uh, that was Putin's number one miscalculation, even more than, than uh, underestimating the Ukrainian military's capacity to defend, uh, to fight back, was the global response. I think he expected a lot from the West. Uh, I think he had a range of possibilities in his mind. He thought maybe he could uh, divide the West in some cases because there was lots of division prior to the actual invasion. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's been a global response of this proportion and the businesses, as you pointed out, I don't think that was in his calculations at all, and he's been shocked at that. Uh, I don't think that 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 same kind of thing would happen on the other side. If, if, if he went, uh, if Xi Jinping went all in and to bed with, with Putin, because the reason of this has been so strong against Russia is because they see cities being blown up. They mm-hmm. see hospitals being blown up. And that that just deeps uh, digs deep into a person's heartstrings. Whereas China would be like, well, I mean, he's helping him out. That's bad, but. You know, it's just, I don't, there's, there's no imagery that would make you feel that strongly. And the other thing that's important to understand both in both these calculations here is that all these sanctions and all these business things so far, we're talking this has been three weeks. So no, no one has really felt any real sting of this. But if this continues to go on, these sanctions are also going to have a double-edged sword. And even the ones in Russia are going to eventually start mm-hmm. causing more problems for the West and many businesses. It's going to cause lots of problems. Now that's just minuscule compared to the the scale that would that is involved with China because we have so much larger business opportunities and so much more uh, financial stakes involved over there. And I think you would see a lot of hesitation to to for people to do the same thing to China that they've done to Russia, unless you see China then take a move on Taiwan, in which case you may have a similar dynamic play out. But then that's also a big, you know, we need to all be understanding sure. what's at stake there because the economic damage to the West, could be catastrophic if we applied the same kind of thing to China. Sure. And that's just something that I hope that nobody needs to find out.
3: U.S. Security Advisor Jake Sullivan held his own seven-hour meeting with his Chinese counterpart earlier this week on the heels of Russia bombing a Ukrainian city just miles from NATO ally Poland and claims that Russia has requested assistance from China. Steve Began, former U.S. Deputy Secretary of State under Mike Pompeo, on The Guy Gordon Show.
0: It is a near-miss. From where that training base is to the Polish border. And, you know, the United States government has been crystal clear that any attack on Poland or any other NATO will be responded to by the, the NATO alliance. So it was either a shot across the bow or it was an incredibly reckless decision by the Russians to do it. Uh, but uh, either way, it does suggest that just the level of brutality that Russia is going to be imposing upon the entire country of of Ukraine is still escalating.
5: Well, and and I wanted to ask you about that because it seems we keep fashioning our our policy there based on won't what won't cause Putin to escalate. And yet he keeps escalating. So how much does this raise the prospect of a an intentional article 5 infraction on the part of Russia or maybe an unintentional one a dreadful mistake that plunges us into into a direct confrontation
0: well guy i have uh, consistently been on the pessimistic end of of analysts on this fight and uh, unfortunately i've also pretty much been consistently uh, uh close to the the outcome I'm I'm pessimistic about this one, Guy. I I actually think there's a very high likelihood that this conflict spreads uh, before it's over. And I think, you know, I think uh, uh, Vladimir Putin has put himself in an impossible position. He can't win the war that he wanted to win. And so he's going to just keep escalating and ratcheting up. Eventually, Guy, this could cross over those borders. and, and And I think that's a possibility.
5: Russia today put its nuclear deterrent forces on alert yet again, following Western sanctions. Uh, that caused the U.N. Secretary General to say that he believes nuclear war is back within the realm of possibility. Again, a, another bone-chilling statement on the part of of uh, a leader that has seen this. And he says the prospect of nuclear conflict, once unthinkable, is now back within the realm of possibility. Do you agree?
0: There are many things that uh, Vladimir Putin has been uh, uh, reckless or or, uh, impulsive in acting upon in the last many weeks. One of the most dangerous is his loose talk about the use of nuclear weapons. Um, But I have to say that we just have to steal uh, ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to have confidence. The United States has maintained a a substantial nuclear deterrent uh, since uh, the dawn of the nuclear age for the very important reason that through deterrence, we keep other countries from using their weapons. Um, Vladimir Putin has made many, many uh, mistaken decisions in recent weeks, and and it, it, it may be within the realm of his imagination, but uh, I think he and his senior advisors understand that that would be an absolutely fruitless mm-hmm. step for Russia to take in the face of the deterrent that the United States and its allies have.
5: Russia has supposedly asked China for weapons and aid. Jake Sullivan, our NSA, is in talks with the Chinese today in Rome. We haven't heard anything coming out of that yet, or at least I haven't. Um, it, it's, I guess it's hard to believe that Russia is so hard up that they would have to go to China for help after a two-week incursion into, an, into another country and in an invasion. What do you make of this? And. Is his are his forces really that depleted, or is he just trying to pull China farther from the West's orbit?
0: I think certainly he wants tangible signs of Chinese support, but what he might, you know, what he might be uh, in need of is some of the more sophisticated technologies, like drones, for example, that uh, that would help Russia in uh, maintaining battlefield awareness. Um, Whether that that was an official request from the Russian government or a a Chinese company and a Russian company talking about a business transaction, I don't know. Only our government has access to the reports that led them to make that accusation. But I I believe at a certain level it could be true, and that's why Jake Sullivan went over to meet with Yang Juchu in Rome today. The meeting is over. All the Chinese said as they came out of the meeting was there was a meeting. and What the U.S. said is they were very clear with the Chinese that that this would be – a um this would be an unacceptable step and it would have consequences. I will say though, this and, and several other things I see guy suggest to me that, that Vladimir Putin feels like he's losing this war. You know, maybe maybe it's more accurate to say he feels like he's losing the battles. The, the the possibility of Ukraine being able to ultimately defeat the overwhelming size and scope of the Russian army. Still seems like a bit of a stretch, but mm-hmm. boy, God bless the Ukrainian people. Have they put up a fight?
5: And continue to. Uh, very quickly, in the Wall Street Journal today, Ludovic Hood, who is one of Mike Pence's uh, senior advisors, writes that it's time to send NATO troops into western Ukraine, that what happened in, on, on the border with Poland, uh, he's proposing that the only deterrence Putin will understand is to see NATO troops in western Ukraine. Is that sensible? Or is that reckless?
0: So you know, um, people who stood uh, uh, and looked back at the uh, five years of World War II and wondered if we had if we had opposed Hitler sooner, right? Might we have avoided that conflict? You know, you, you just you just don't know at this point. But but I do know this: that for a president to make that decision, he has to have the support of the American people. And if we were going to take that step, I think it would be very important for the U.S. Congress to come together mm-hmm. to discuss it, to approve, to support the president, um, because you know, that may be what it takes, Guy. Uh, I think that's that's a fair analysis, but um, we need to go in with our eyes wide open if we were going to do something like that. We are essentially saying we're prepared to go to war with Russia, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a big step for us to take. And we only should take that with the strong support of the American people.
3: The Federal Reserve has increased the interest rate by a quarter of a percent. The Fed's first increase since 2018, with six more planned before the end of 2023. So how much more expensive will it be to buy a house, car, or other big ticket purchases? Financial advisor David Sowerby is on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz.
1: The Federal Reserve Board is doing exactly what they need to do, uh, probably six or nine months too late. Because their number one mission is and always should be maintain price stability, low inflation, and we are not seeing low inflation today.
5: So walk us through this, because I, I think of inflation, and I think of higher prices. This has costed me more. I'm really worried. Now we talk about raising interest rates, and I think, oh, my gosh, it's, my credit card's going to go up. This is going to hurt me again, not help me. So how, how does that work, uh, where uh, raising interest rates uh, helps uh, hold off inflation?
1: Sure. If we, if we start with the, the basics, that inflation, first and foremost, is a monetary event, the old adage, too much money chasing too few goods, bids up the price of those goods. The Federal Reserve Board has put a lot of money into the the economy in the last two years, record amounts. Inflation is the byproduct of that. Now the Federal Reserve Board, as one Fed chairman said many, many years ago, it's time to take that punch bowl away from the party. We've got to raise interest rates. We need to restrict the growth in, in uh, money supply. Because we need to, to stem off even higher inflation. That's what we're going to see over the next year to year and a half, two years, is interest rates move higher, mortgage rates, prime rate, you name it. And you know it's going to have an impact on the economy. It usually does. But I can tell you that uh, delaying that would be a significant problem with even higher inflation than we're seeing today.
6: Yeah, it's hard to imagine it would get higher than what it is today. So we got a quarter point yesterday. Policymakers expect six more of these uh, through the year, through 2022. That's pretty significant. Do you think it's significant enough to bring down inflation to close to the 2.3% target, or will it still be significantly higher?
1: It's going to take some time, more time than we probably realize to, to bring down those inflation rates it, it, at least a year and probably more likely two years to, to get inflation to where I would like to see it in that 2% range. Uh, I think p- politely, I think 4%, I- as long as you keep inflation rates, persistent inflation rates below 4%, that's usually a pretty good backdrop for stock investors. But we know we're not there today. And if it were to persist, you only have to look at what happened in the 1970s, early 1980s, to see the debilitating effects of what inflation does, because it's a tax. Mm-hmm. takes away your and my purchasing power.
6: Yeah, but uh, look how it was addressed back then in the early 1980s. Former Fed Chair Paul Volcker uh, raised interest rates significantly to the point that we went into a, a short-term, maybe two-year recession, but Jerome Powell likes uh, Paul Volcker, he indicated on March 3rd that between the two choices of tolerating increasing inflation rates or going into a recession, he favors going into recession in order to defeat inflation. Do you agree with that?
1: Uh, yes, as much as we don't want to utter the dreaded R word for recession, all, all you have to do is look at from the late 1960s to the early 1980s, a time period that's roughly 15 years. You saw U.S. stock returns flat, adjusted for inflation, they were negative. That's a long 15-year time period to live through. We don't even want to come close to to embarking on that type of environment. So raising interest rates, taking away the punch bowl, maybe we get some type of recession in a couple of years, but we never want to go back to what we saw in those years of double-digit inflation, at times double-digit unemployment rates, stagnating economy, a Michigan unemployment rate that hit 17% in 1982. We, we never want to revisit that. So the Fed is doing exactly what it needs to do, maybe six months or so too late. We can debate that. Uh, but even even if interest rates move up two percentage points from today's level, after inflation, they're still flat to negative. The cost of borrowing for most companies will still be very low that I don't think it it is a, a significant inhibitor on economic growth.
3: Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, wastewater data has been used to predict which way infection numbers were headed, and recent sampling shows some somewhat alarming results. Paul W. Smith asked Governor Whitmer about it during his annual St. Patrick's Day broadcast.
7: I hate to talk about this. I have to. It's not gone. Uh, it's gone in my world, in my mind, but although we did all wear masks yesterday, and I, I haven't been used to that for a while, and I was a big mask guy. I, two years ago, March, I said, wear masks. Wearing N95 masks, but anyway, I've stopped. But we had them yesterday because we were going, I guess, by the college's rules over there. But the CDC reporting 40% of wastewater sampling sites report an increase of COVID in the last 15 days. I mean, you're in charge of all this. You've gone through it all. You've had to make very tough decisions. You've learned a thing or two, as we all have, and we have new knowledge. But... With your latest information that they give you, which is probably a lot better than the the information we all have right now, are we sliding backwards? Are we really going backwards to a point where this is going to be a problem?
8: Well, I'll tell you this. None of us wants to be talking about COVID anymore. Me included. But the fact of the matter is this viruses mutate. They change. We'll have different challenges on the horizon. But, you know, we know a lot more now about this virus. We know how to stay safe wearing those masks, limiting, you know, indoor, um, you know, exposure to people you don't live with when the numbers go up. So we all got to keep watching the numbers. We all got to do our part and protect ourselves. And if you're not vaccinated and boosted, please get there. It's free and it works. The people that are in our hospitals, the people that um, are continuing to battle COVID are, are largely those who are not vaccinated and boosted. So every one of us has the tools we need, and we encourage people to use them.
3: The U.S. Senate has passed the Sunshine Protection Act repealing daylight saving time, ending the practice of springing forward one hour every spring and back one hour every fall. Jeff Irwin has been fighting this fight in the state Senate for quite some time, and he addressed some of the concerns on The Guy Gordon Show.
5: Well, we have heard from some parents, though, and you gave a beautiful list of all the benefits there, some of the costs that are mentioned. That especially here on the west end of the time zone, that we would have darker mornings and many more of them for the kids at the bus stop. Yeah, we would have no more of those five o'clock sunsets in the dead of winter, uh, but we would have a lot of dark mornings and that could be unsafe for them, unsafe for commuters. What say you?
8: Well, look, part of the problem is that Michigan is on the west end of the zone that we're in. And that creates this issue for us just because of where we're located geographically. Um, And, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of sun in the winter. So uh, my goal has always been to stop the clock switching. If we wanted to go to standard all year, that's fine by me. If we want to go to daylight all year, that's fine by me too. I kind of like the later light in the evening, but I understand the safety concerns as well. Um, so, look, my goal has always been just to stop the clock switching. It's damaging. It's unnecessary. Uh, it no longer makes sense. Well, now, I, this concern I, about dark mornings, I think, is a real one. But I know that in my personal experience, uh, the mornings are already very dark throughout the winter and, and kids are going to school in the already in the dark. Yeah. How would this work
5: if we get full federal approval, uh, if, if the House takes it up and passes it, if President Biden signs it? What's required of Michigan to put this into action, to be in compliance with the the federal legislation?
8: Well, the great thing is that if the federal legislation passes, Michigan doesn't have to do anything. Uh, We would automatically move, and my bill would be unnecessary, and and the Republican bill over in the House from Representative Hoytinger would also be unnecessary. Uh, So that would be good. Um, If we don't pass anything federally and we rely on the bills that have been introduced here in Lansing in a bipartisan fashion, uh, at least in my bill, it says that we wouldn't actually make the change until our neighbors did, enough of our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So the great thing about federal action is that, look, the only reason to keep doing this is because everyone else is doing it. And if we all jump together, that takes away that reason as well.
3: That'll do it for Sui this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.